You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. All right, I want to tell you about a guy named Dan. Not his real, not his real name. We changed the names to protect the innocent or sometimes the not-so-innocent. And uh, Dan was a guy who was in the ministry that I was ministering to a number of years ago, young adults, and uh, he was a guy I ministered with and got to minister to. Dan was a tough guy to be around, though, because he, uh, he was down on himself a lot. And when he was down, it was easy for him to be down on other people. You know the type. Dan was somebody who'd been hurt so many times that he just was filled with bitterness. And I mean serious bitterness. He'd been rejected several times by uh, women he'd asked out in the young adult group. And then there were some really deep wounds that kind of fed this bitterness that were deep in him. And uh, as a result, it's just bitter. It was easy for Dan to be down because of all that. But when he was down, it was also then, it seemed like he just unleashed this critical attitude or mind, uh, mindset on other people around him. He was attacking others. He was criticizing others. He was hurting others to the point that almost nobody in the group wanted to be around him. And you can understand why. Bitterness not only will poison people around you, but bitterness, if you don't deal with it in accordance with the way Scripture says, it will poison you. Sadly, so many people are being held hostage by the chains of bitterness. And we're going to talk about that this morning. I want to ask you if you have your Bible or your smartphone or tablet, turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. We're going to start in this, this talk looking at verses 14 and 15. And then near the end, we're going to jump over to Ephesians 4. But if you'll look at uh, Hebrews 12. Today, we're starting a brand new series, as you saw the uh, bumper before the service or before the sermon is titled Chained, where we're looking at the things that hold us hostage and chain us down from being all that God has called us to be. Next week, we're going to take a look about at the chains of worry and how worry can just cripple you. And some of you know exactly what that's about. So I hope you'll be here. If you know somebody who struggles with worry, uh, invite them to come, take them to lunch afterwards, but I think it'll be helpful to them. Uh, hopefully, it'll be helpful to everyone who's here. Today, we're going to take a look, as I said, at the chains of bitterness. So let's jump right into verses 14 and 15 of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. It says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The author of Hebrews starts the 12th chapter by giving us this metaphor of running a race to describe what living the Christian life looks like. He uses this metaphor, and he, it's the idea that those who've been running the race before us have now handed us the baton, those of us who are part of the church today, and it is now our turn to run this race. We're running the race, and the author says in verse 14, make every effort, okay? Now that idea of making every effort actually encompasses this idea of pursuing something. That's what the, the Greek uh, language uses there. And he's pointing, he's saying, make every effort. And then he points to two specific lanes, if you will, using this running metaphor, 
two specific lanes that we should make the effort to run in. And I want us to look at these two. The first one is this. Run in the lane of peace. Look what he says. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. I love that language. I really like what Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 18 says. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love that. Be a peacemaker. That's what the writer of Hebrews and the apostle Paul is saying in Romans. Be a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. When we're at war with someone, we lose the opportunity to influence them for good. So, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. The second lane that he calls us to to run in is the lane of holiness. He says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Holiness means separation from all that's sinful. That's a tough thing. (laughs) None of us are going to get it right exactly all the time. It's just not. But that's what he's calling us to. He's saying, hey, that's the focus. You may fall short of it, but that's the focus. And the byproduct of holiness then is, he says, we will see the Lord. This refers to enjoying this personal fellowship with him, a personal relationship with God. Jesus affirms all this in the Sermon on the Mount. Right at the very beginning, he gives the Beatitudes and he says in Matthew 5, 8, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, the holy, for they will see God. He agrees with the writer of Hebrews. So if we're going to run this race, let's run it in two lanes and pursue peace with everyone. And then let's also run in holiness. And then verse 15, the writer of Hebrews continues this thought He says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. The idea here of missing the grace of God is that someone would fall short, that they would somehow do something that would cause them to miss out on it. He's saying, keep an eye on that guy or gal who's running alongside of you, who has this propensity or this tendency to run off course, you know, down into the ditch and off into the woods or the field. He says, look out for signs of those who may be showing signs of quitting. Don't let them quit. And then he continues, and we get to the whole discussion about bitterness, he says, and that no bitter root grows up. See to it that no one misses out on the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up. In Deuteronomy, the 29th chapter, verse 18, there's an illustration or another metaphor here where a bitter root is used as a reference to a person who is a source of bitterness within the community of believers. And they say, that's a root of bitterness. It's a root of bitterness. And in spirit of what the writer of Hebrews says here in twelve fifteen, he's saying that we shouldn't let this bitterness continue. Don't let it grow. Now, I may not know that it's in you. I may know it, but I may not. But if you know it's in you, you have a responsibility to do something about it. The author of Hebrews is saying that when the bitter root grows... He continues, he says, it'll cause trouble and defile many. That's why you shouldn't let it grow. This points out the destructive aspect of a bitter root. There is serious trouble and damage that it can cause. Bitterness, when I was thinking about it, kind of reminds me of kudzu. You know what kudzu is? It's this weed that grows mostly in the south, and it grows like crazy. 
You plant just one little sprig of kudzu, and before long, an entire hillside is covered in no time at all. Bitterness is kind of like that. Unchecked and unrestrained, it can take over a person's life. And it can do it really quickly. So, see to it that no bitter root grows up, the writer of Hebrews says. So that it doesn't consume our hearts or take us over or produce this poison that would defile many people because that's what bitterness has the capacity to do. And if you've ever been bitter, you don't notice it right away, but at some point you start to see, I don't even like me when I'm this way. You ever felt that way? Well, I want us to take a look at bitterness maybe on a foundational level, at least for this talk. I want to give you two key foundational pieces that will help us better understand uh, uh, bitterness. And this, this comes from the text we're studying. The first is this. Bitterness grows into a dangerous root. It grows into a dangerous root. He says there at the end of 15 that no bitter root grows up in your heart to defile many people. He's talking about this root that grows up. Now, how does a bitter root start? Well, you may have some ideas, but the truth is that most, time, most of the time, bitterness starts in a person's life in the soil of a hurt that hasn't been dealt with in a proper way. A bitter root grows within the soil of a wounded heart. Somebody does something, it stings you, it smarts, it injures you. Maybe it physically hurts you, or maybe it just emotionally hurts you. But it hurts you. There's an injury. Someone betrays you. And instead of handling it in the way that the Scripture says... We just absorb the hurt because that's what roots do. They absorb things. Now, Jesus gives us a clear directive in Matthew, the 18th chapter, verse 15. He tells us that you're to go to that person, that brother or that sister, and point out the sin or the offense. But if you don't, you have a tendency, a real probability of absorbing that hurt into who you are. Roots absorb, and roots, as a result of absorbing those things, will start to grow, and the roots store up things. And we have this tendency, when we're bitter, to keep a record of the wounds and the hurts that others have given to us. We feed the bitter root when we do that. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, verse 5, he's talking about the love of God here. He says, it, that's the love of God, this agape love, It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. So that kind of love doesn't keep track of all of those things. That's tough to do. Don't don't get me wrong. But what Paul's saying here is that the, the, the Lord, the Spirit of God, gives us this love, and it equips us to not keep records of all the things that have been done to us. If someone hurts you and you love them, you forgive them. You let it go. You show grace. You show mercy. You show compassion. You show forgiveness. Love keeps no record of wrongs, but bitterness keeps detailed records of wrongs, doesn't it? I remember what that guy did to me, and it was 15 years ago, but it's like, it's, like it happened just yesterday because I play it over in my mind all the time. And if I had just been a little smarter 15 years ago, I would have told him exactly what I thought about him. And if I ever get the opportunity, does it sound familiar? Now, I'm just acting. That's not real, as far as you know, okay? The truth is we all have kind of a, 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 a highlight reel like that in our heads that occasionally 
If we're not careful, it'll play and it'll play and it'll play and it starts to feed that root. Bitter roots absorb the hurts and they store them up and they keep track of them. And when these roots do that, they grow and they get more poisonous. That's the second part of the foundational piece here is that bitterness produces a poisonous fruit. It produces poison. Out of this dangerous root of bitterness, our lives start to show hatred and anger toward these people and to other people. Just sometimes people who get in the way. There's rage. And these things begin to poison the relationships that we're involved in. The New Living Translation translates the last part of verse 15. It says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. In this verse, this translation, it says, whenever a bitter root springs up, many people are corrupted by its poison. They're influenced by it in a negative way. Whenever a bitter root grows up in you, its poison will corrupt many people, those around you, those involved with you, but it'll also corrupt you. Have you ever noticed this? One person can come into an office and where, where it was otherwise a really healthy work environment, they bring in their, their anger, their frustration, their bitterness, and they just damage this, what once was a healthy work environment. One person. Same is true with a family. You can take one bitter family member and this person can destroy the holidays when the family gets together. They can totally disrupt the unity and the love and the harmony that is there in a family. Just one person. Bitterness produces a poisonous fruit. I wonder if you recognize bitterness when you see it. We see it in other people and we tend to, we tend to recognize it more readily, but sometimes it's hard for us to see it in ourselves, isn't it? I mean, we get way down the road before we realize just how toxic and poisonous we've become through bitterness. I found a list that Craig Rochelle came up with in his book, Soul Detox, Cleaning, Clean Living in a Contaminated World. And in this, he gives us kind of a, a template, if you will, of five characteristics that are common. This isn't an exhaustive list, but I thought it was helpful for us to kind of see into a, a mirror of sorts, to see characteristics of people who are kind of driven by bitterness. I want to ask you to consider this list. And as you, we go through it, just just ask yourself, is that true about me? Is that true about you? The first characteristic is bitter people tend to justify their bitterness. They think now that this person did this to me, I deserve to be angry. I'm, I'm just, it's deserving. You'd expect that I'd feel like getting revenge or having hateful thoughts toward this person or, or at least I'm going to ignore them. They deserve at least that. We think that because we're bitter, that we're justified because we were a victim. They did this to us, therefore we should be able to do this to them. We think we have the right to be angry or ticked off. There's a second characteristic of a bitter person. Bitter people tend to become overly critical. If you uh, are bitter towards someone, you'll never look at that person objectively again unless God pulls that bitterness out of us, you'll pick them apart every single thing they do. You're picking that person apart 
because you're bitter. Not because they're necessarily flawed or a failure. They're not perfect. No one is. But you find a flaw in everything that they do. There's a third characteristic. Bitter people secretly celebrate the misfortunes of others. If I'm bitter at you and something bad happens to you, I'm sure, in my mind, my assessment, that it's just God even in the score, right? The Bible says you reap what you sow and you're reaping it right now, baby, and I'm loving it. I'm celebrating that. That's what bitterness does. I wonder, I wonder, did anyone secretly celebrate this uh, past week when this college admissions scandal broke on Tuesday. You know what I'm talking about? These actresses in Hollywood and business leaders and some wealthy parents were indicted uh, on charges they're calling what they're calling the largest college admissions scandal in U.S. history. More than 30 rich and famous people are facing indictments for paying bribes in order to try to get their kids into these exclusive colleges and universities. Now, not that any of you knew them or had had any kind of experience with them, but maybe you got dinged by somebody who was famous or somebody who had power or somebody who had influence, and, and suddenly you just felt a little good, like the little guy, you know, is, is enjoying these Big, fancy people getting punched in the mouth by the feds. Yeah. (laughs) That wasn't me, but I'm trying to get inside of some of you, okay? Do you feel that way? Do you celebrate? Do you celebrate secretly the misfortunes of other people? The fourth characteristic is bitter people tend to write off entire groups of people. I mean, one or two people will hurt them, and then all of a sudden they write off the entire group of people. A lady gets hurt by a man or maybe two men, you know, through the course of relationships. And suddenly now she says, I hate all men. All men are pigs. They're just the way it is, right? She's lumping them all together. Or it's not just men that are pigs. I mean, women sometimes do things too. And a guy can get jaded easily. I mean, a girl cheats on him and suddenly now what? I can't trust any women. You can't trust women. They're all untrustworthy. They just want to mess with you. We lump them all together. People do that with churches. You have an encounter with someone from a church and they're disrespectful or they're hurtful or they're mean. And all of a sudden, the person says, I hate that church. Or a political party. All Republicans are X, Y, and Z. All Democrats are A, B, and C. And they're not. They're not. Some people get hurt and then they write off entire groups of people because of the actions of a few. The fifth characteristic, maybe the most uh, troubling, is bitter people don't see that they're bitter. They struggle to see bitterness when they look in the mirror. Some of you right now are thinking, oh man, I wish so-and-so were here to hear this message. They need it on bitterness while someone may be sitting right next to you and they're thinking, I hope he gets it. I hope she's listening. Because everybody else can see it but often we don't see it. Over my lifetime, God has shown me some roots of bitterness that have existed in my life. And so I want to raise a question to bring awareness that helped me. It's simply a very simple question. Who are you bitter towards? Who are you bitter towards? Is there someone, when I say that, when I ask that question, boom, immediately their picture flashes in your mind. Or maybe it's a group of people. Maybe there's a handful of people that have done something that caused you great harm, injury to you. If you were honest, 
whom would you say, I just can't stand that person? It's probably the person who is the focus of your bitterness. Maybe it's more serious. You know, sometimes there are friends who have told lies about you or have spread rumors about you and they're bitter, you're bitter toward them. Or maybe it's, your, it's more personal than even that. Maybe it's one or both of your parents. They weren't there for you. They were abusive. They, they showed violence in the home. They, they drank too much. Or maybe they just played favorites and you were never the favorite. Or maybe you're bitter toward someone who took advantage of you. You tried to help them and they abused your generosity. Or perhaps you loaned them money and they never paid you back. Or maybe it's even deeper than that. It's a long trusted friend, somebody who you poured your life out to. And all of a sudden, one day, they just turned on you for no reason, and you're bitter. Maybe it's your ex, it's your ex husband or your ex wife. Divorce happens. And usually, you know this, both people have some measure of responsibility for why that marriage came apart, usually. And yet it's so common to see a spouse hate their ex. They despise them. And what does this do? Well, the fruit of it is poison that seeps into your kids and seeps into people around you. You know, some people are even bitter at God. God, I prayed and I asked you if you would just move in this specific way and you didn't. And if you'd have shown up If you'd have just worked like I had asked you to, things would have been different, but you didn't. They're bitter at God. And then there are even people who are bitter at themselves. They look at their life and they think, how could I have been so stupid, so foolish? I was an idiot. When I look at this one mistake, I had to do it. And when I did it, look how much it's cost me. I'm an idiot. Who are you bitter towards? Who is it? I want you to acknowledge it, not brush it away. I want you to acknowledge it because the longer you let this root grow, the more dangerous it becomes and the more difficult it is to kill it. And that's right. The more difficult it is to kill it. You can kill this root of bitterness. You know how you do that? You ask God to give you permission. You give him authority to come in, to do something that you can't do on your own so that you can stop the poison of bitterness from spreading because it's coming from you. Maybe the most important thing I'll say outside of the scriptures that I share this morning will be this this sentence, to kill the root of bitterness We kill the root of bitterness, excuse me, with forgiveness. That's the only answer. You know, I had lunch with a missionary friend of mine who's been friends friends with me for a long, long time, 35 years or so. And I said to him, I'm preaching on bitterness this Sunday. He goes, oh, brother, have I got some stories to tell you about bitterness? (laughs) And I said, I got plenty. I got plenty. And he said this to me, he said, but you know the one thing you need to know about bitterness is that forgiveness is the only answer. It's the only way to fix it. And I thought, he's known that for a long, long time. And I'm glad. I know that there are some of you in here who've been wounded 
in, in a deep, deep way. And you don't even want to forgive that person. Because if you forgive them, it's, it's as if you're excusing them for what they've done to you. But I want to ask you to just pump the brakes just a little bit and don't just blow by this idea of forgiveness too quickly. Just give me a chance to share a little bit about this idea. Don't reject it right out of hand, all right? If you have scripture with you, just flip back to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We're going to finish here in Ephesians 4, starting with verse 31. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. He says, Get rid of all bitterness, all bitterness. And then he gives this litany of things that seem to kind of flow out of bitterness. Now, I'm not sure if that's exactly what he was saying, or each one of these things kind of stand on their own. But in my mind, I can see how bitterness can be a prompt for rage and anger and brawling and slander and every form of malice. And he says, get rid of all of that. There's no room for any of that in a follower of Christ. And then he, then he continues in verse 32. And I want you to read this uh, next verse with me. Verse 32. He says, read this with me. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. How do we kill the root of bitterness? You kill it with forgiveness. I met Andy, not his real name, again, when I moved into the dorm my freshman year at college. And he and I became best friends. His room was right next door to mine. It was hard to miss Andy. He and I had a lot in common because he was from Oklahoma and I was from Iowa. And when people would leave campus to go home over the weekends, he and I were kind of stuck there. And I didn't have a car the first three months I was there. But I had a friend, Andy, who had a car. So we became kind of, you know, best of friends. At the end of our first semester, Andy made a mistake he was uh, taking a final in his acts class, and he wasn't a great student. He would tell you that today. And during this final, he started to panic. There was a lot of information, a lot of details, and he knew all the stuff. He knew it all. But in that moment of test taking, his mind went blank. And so he copied off of the student sitting near him. The day after the test, he got called into the dean's office and he was confronted by the facts that somebody had turned him in for cheating on the test. And once he heard that, he confessed to it. He admitted it. He could have easily been expelled, but the school showed him some grace. And I'm so grateful that they did. He's one of my best friends to this day. I see Andy as like one of my brother's. Andy and I would often joke around, and uh, we called it busting on each other. And we, in our immaturity as 18-year-olds, we did it a lot. You know, the king of the hill was the person who could knock the other person down verbally. And occasionally, when Andy would drop a real zinger on me, I would come back with the response, well, I was just wondering, are you going to study for that test, or are you just going to cheat on it? <laughs> I know, it's horrible. I know. This is terrible, Right? And I, I got away with it a few times. And then one day, I looked at, he, I said that, and he just looked at me and he said, are you ever going to stop 
Are you ever going to forget that I cheated? And I realized just how much that that hurt him. And so in that moment, I said to him, I said, man, I'm so sorry. I apologize for being the jerk that I was. And I decided I would never do that again. You see, I saw him hurting because he was trying to move beyond that. And here was one of the very people who should have been in his corner helping him to move on, being one of those people who wouldn't let him move on. And so I decided I would never bring it up again, and I never did. There are a lot of people today who are still carrying what God has wanted them to set down long ago. And it's hard to forgive and to move on when others keep bringing it up. So stop bringing it up. Is it time to forgive someone who hurt you and to start moving forward? away from that bitterness. I want to acknowledge as we close this message that we're we're talking about this and I know that in a room this size that there are some of you who have experienced some significant hurts, some really deep wounds. And I want to acknowledge to those of you that have suffered certain abuses, betrayals, abandonments, even some things that are so worse we couldn't talk about them in this setting. But I want to encourage you, you know, as you think about it, even though in your mind, you're thinking possibly, I don't even want to forgive that person. I'm not even at the point of wanting to forgive them. I'm not even, I'm 10 miles from that, Monty. I'm so far removed from that. How could I even want to do that? They don't deserve it. How can I even get to that point where I would say, I'd think about it, forgiving? Well, Scripture says that with man things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. And I don't think that's a cliche. I think there's great power in that. For some of you this morning, God may do a supernatural miracle in your life by giving you the ability to make a decision to forgive that person who hurt you. And if that's you and that happens, I just want to praise God in advance for that. Praising him for breaking the chains that have held you down for so long. But the truth is, for some of you, it will be more of a process. And that's okay too. It may be that you're just starting to do some of the things that Scripture teaches us, even though we don't feel like it at all. You may just say, I know I'm supposed to pray for this person, and I don't even want to. So God, my prayer is simply help them. That's all you're going to get out of me. That's all that I can do. And you just start there. That's a great place to start. Your prayer may be just, God, change my heart. Give me the desire to forgive because I don't want to live with bitterness my whole life. I'm not there yet, God, but help me because I don't want to be this way. And it'll be a process. I know for me, that's what it was. And for a lot of people, that's the way it is. 
The way that you forgive is the same way that Jesus forgives you. The same way that he forgave you. Let me read Ephesians 4.32, the last part of that verse one more time. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I'm grateful for that, aren't you? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Just talk a minute and then we'll pray and then we'll be done. I want you to think one more time about who you're bitter toward. You see that picture in your mind? You have a choice. You can keep drinking the poison of bitterness and hurting yourself and the people around you, or you can put that poison away and you can ask God, would you, Lord, bring healing to my heart? Because that's where that root resides, right in your heart. And if it influences how you speak and it influences a lot of the things that you do, God, would you just cleanse me in a deep way? Would you kill that root? Help me to forgive. Would you deal with this at the, at the bitter root level? Because I'm not going to let this bitterness continue to ruin my life and affect the people who I love. God will do that. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to the deep recesses of our being. Lord, I, I know we live in a world that is broken. It's a, it really is a broken place. And there's a lot of brokenness around us. And there's a lot of brokenness in us. And this world is filled with people who are unhealthy. And out of their brokenness, they hurt other people. They cheat, they lie, they steal, they abuse, they abandon. The list just goes on and on. And I know, God, in a group this size, that it's probably pretty safe to say that most everybody in here has been a victim of one or more of those hurts or some other hurt. And God, I know that they're real. They're real. And I don't want to minimize these wounds in any way, shape, or form. But I also know that this isn't the way you designed us to live tied up by the chains of bitterness. And I want to ask you to do a supernatural work in the hearts of those who need this bitterness to be removed. Give every wounded person here the power to forgive. This doesn't mean that they're excusing the behavior of those who hurt them. It's just saying that they're not going to allow that wound to continue to hurt them any longer. It's not going to control them. It's not going to cause them to be bitter. God, use the forgiveness to remove any bitter root that has been poisoning us and affecting those, unfortunately, who are around us, who we love so deeply. Lord, break the chains of bitterness in this room. And please set the captives of bitterness free today. Lord, this all starts with you. It starts right at the cross where Jesus went to die, that we might have this relationship with you, that we might tap into this power that comes from your spirit and that it gives us this hope that we don't have on our own. God, we thank you for the cross. And as we enter into our communion time, we, we just praise you, God, for the sacrifice that Jesus made. This cup, which represents his blood that was shed for us to wash our sins away, this 
piece of bread that represents his body that was given as a sacrifice and endured so much until he died. And God, you didn't stay there. You came back. The tomb was empty. And that's where our hope begins. Because you overcame the one death, the one power that Satan had, and that was death. And God, we praise you for that. We give you thanks for Jesus as we spend this time in communion reflecting on his gift. God, we thank you for the hope we have and the forgiveness we have through him. Help us to forgive others, to kill the root of bitterness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.